Good morning, church. Good morning. Oh, we got to do better than that. Good morning, church. Good morning. Uh, everybody was out working in the yard too long yesterday, weren't you? You're all tired. Hey, if you're joining us online, good morning. I'm Pastor Chase. I'm the Connections Pastor here, and I'm excited to bring you the word this morning. We are in a four-week series. Actually, today we are closing a four-week series called What's Next? Um, week one, I opened that with our mission. Week two, Pastor Nate did a great job talking about our community being church. And then last week, which was Father's Day, Pastor Dan did a brilliant job talking about our example, being the Heavenly Father and walking us through the Lord's Prayer step by step. Now this week, as we close out this series, there's one more thing I want to talk about, and it's our call, which is evangelism. And that word gets a bad rap in the church. Because everybody always asks, what does that even mean? What does evangelism even look like? It's a churchy word. And I'll be honest, I'm one of those pastors that I really don't like churchy things. I just don't. I think they're cheesy, and I just don't like using them myself. So this word evangelism, we're going to talk about that word today. And at the end, we're going to talk about what it really means and what it really is. And in order to do that, I need to go to a passage of Scripture where we really get to dive in to our call. But before I do that, I want to go ahead and talk about next week. Next week, we're diving into a new series. It's a six-week series called Rebuilding, and it is going through the story of Nehemiah. So you are not going to want to miss that. Um, if you're online and considering coming back, especially as we open up next week with our kids' town area to K through fifth grade, you know what? It's a great time. It's a great series to be here for it. So that's going to be going through July and part of August, so it's going to be a blast, all right? But before we dive into the message today, I want to go ahead and lift up some prayers. So let's bow with me. Hey, Father God, as we dive into the word this morning, I ask that you be with me. I ask to be your words and the Holy Spirit guide and not my words because my words are foolish and your words are wise, God. God, I ask that you be with us all in this room this morning. God, we're so thankful we can gather in the house this morning. We also thank you for all those that are joining us online. God, as we just dive into the message this morning, may we all take something from it, including myself. Pray us all in your name. Amen. All right, so the text I want to go to is a very common text this morning. You can find it at the end of the book of Matthew, and it's what we call the Great Commission. All right, so Matthew chapter 28 is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to camp out there as our main text almost all morning exclusively. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there, or you can go ahead and go to version or use your phone. That's fine with me as well. So Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20 says this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, I want to break that text down this morning. And as we break it down, I want to go ahead and just look at the first two verses, all right? So Matthew 28, verses 16 through 18 says this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. 
Well, all right. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I want to focus on that one sentence there. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. When we see this statement from Jesus himself, I have a feeling that something great's coming next. Let me ask you this. Dad's in the room. Maybe you've had to scold your child and been like, man, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me to beat you. All right? I, I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that's you. Maybe that's how you talk to your child. If so, talk to Pastor Dan. He'll help you through that. All right? But let, let's look at some other things. Maybe you have to get that stern. And, and like, why is Jesus saying all authority under heaven and earth has been given to me before I give you this statement? But I also want to look at context. Because church, as we read scripture... If you guys don't know, this context is key. So what's going on right now at the time of this text? And what's going on right now is right before Jesus is giving this, Jesus just rose from the dead. That puts this scripture into a whole different context. Because he's saying all authority under heaven and earth has been given to me, and this guy just came out of the grave. And I say he rose from the dead because I don't want you to think, oh, he wasn't really dead, he was just, you know... He flatlined for three days and came back. No, no, he was dead. All right, he, he didn't have this moment of where, you know, he just, you know, flatlined and saw a glimpse of heaven. No, that's not what happened. He was dead. And he comes back, and this is one of those things he says to the apostles. All authority under heaven and earth has been given to me for what I'm about to share with you. Why does he say this? And I think the reason he says this is because he knows we need to know he's serious. Because the thing we need to know is this. Jesus is greater than anything we face. Jesus is greater than anything we face. And I think he starts this text off with this all authority has been given to me because he knows there's going to be some doubt. He knows there's going to be some issues. He's hung out with these guys for three plus years, so he already knows where Thomas is going to go. But God, or Jesus, I don't understand. Or Peter's going to be like, I got you, bro. I'm charging the hill with you. But you don't get it. So maybe this is why Jesus is really diving into this. It's that statement of, hey, stop and listen. Because what I'm about to tell you is important. And I'm telling you that it's after I've defeated the grave for this reason. Because no matter what you're going to face with what I'm going to tell you, it's going to be okay. Church, I don't know what each of us go through in this room. I don't know what each of you go through online. I don't know what problems you face. But what I do know is this. Jesus is greater than any of that. Jesus is greater than the addiction, than the divorce, than the bad parent relationship, than the trauma, the accident, the, mis the abuse of trust, Jesus is greater than that. And the reason why he starts off, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, is because what he says next is vital to the church and to believers. So, let's just see what he says next. 19 and 20. Jesus says this to the apostles. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let me break this down. This is the Great Commission, and I want to talk about this first word, go. 
Because as a pastor, something I, I hear all the time is, well, what are we to do? I, I think it's simple. The Great Commission tells you in these two letters, go. And then what's funny to me is if um, you're a nerd like me and you look at what other preachers say and what other theological scholars come up with when they try to dive into the text, you know, because I do that sometimes. I'm, I'm a weirdo like that. And, and as I look at that and I see there's a debate, well, it's two sides. It means go into all the world or no, no, actually when you look at the Greek, it means as you go. And I have to look at that and I say, okay. So one side of the argument says, no, no, it's about your community, and it's about where you go to work and all that. It's as you go. But then there's another side, that, that more the, the zealous side, that says, no, no, it's about going to the ends of the earth and Tanzania and Ethiopia and Thailand and reaching the lost. And so I look at this debate happen, and I have to say this. Isn't it both? I, don't, I know that's not revolutionary. I'm sure somebody else has come up with that. I know I'm not that smart. But it is. Go, therefore, in all the world, baptizing all the nations. Guess what? Your backyard in Metamora is part of that. Whether you know it or not, it's actually on the map. I know it's confusing. Germantown might not be on the map, but I know Metamora is. All right? For you Washington people, that's definitely on the map. All right? It's got Walmart. It's there. So th what it means is that that text to us, it is go for us. And you might be saying, Chase, do we really need to? Because that's another argument I hear as a pastor as we talk about our call as the church is, doesn't, don't everybody know about Jesus? Doesn't everyone already get it? Hasn't Jesus been talked about enough? And I want to say this. If that was true, if that was true, if Jesus had been talked about enough and everybody knew of Jesus, I really don't think we'd have close to 500,000 kids in foster care. I just don't. I don't think we'd have a water crisis where people can't get clean water. Oh, or better, better yet, I don't think we'd have some of the issues that we see right now in our own country. So before we go down that road, that rabbit trail, of, you know, don't we, don't we have enough Jesus already? My answer to you is going to be simply this. No. And why? Well, there's an old adage that my grandmother used to say, and the proof is in the pudding. And when I look at this bowl of pudding, I don't see enough of it. I don't see enough Jesus. And so I think the Great Commission, by the way, just doesn't apply to the 12 disciples or at this point the 11. It applies to all of us. This, this text of Scripture isn't just a descriptive text for us to look at and be like, oh, okay. No, it's meant for us in our everyday life. It's meant for the church. It's still the church's mission to go out and seek and save the lost. Yes, there is still a need. And so we talk about this dichotomy of do we go to the all the world or just as we go to our neighbors and communities. The answer is yes. It's both. I'm sure there are people that you can reach. The next statement I want to talk about in that text. So going back to verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples. Make disciples. Well, maybe they, we get confused by this text. And I, I want to hit something. Nowhere does Jesus say, go therefore and make converts. There's a huge difference between a convert and a disciple. 
And what is it? What does it mean, go and make disciples? It means you're going and you're making people that own it. They're renouncing everything to follow Jesus. That's a disciple. You know, the, the test behind a growing church, a lot of people say this, um, whether it's, you know, um, Andy Stanley or Charles Stanley or whoever, they say if you want to grow a church, you need to make disciples who make disciples. And the adage is true. And so when we look at this and we talk about what is a disciple, it is someone that owns it. They want to share the faith. Now, before you hear something that I'm not saying, I'm not saying you should be like this person that sits in your house and translates scriptures into other languages and eats honey and locust all day long. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you can't have friends. I'm not saying you can't have a great relationship. I'm not saying you can't own a boat, all right? I don't know why people get that, but I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is this, Jesus better be more important than the boat. Or let me go a little bit deeper than that. Jesus better be more important than your marriage. What? It's true. I know that's hard to hear. But here's the point, church. If our relationship with Christ is intact, I promise you your marriage will be better. That's one of the simple truths I can give you. As someone that does premarital and marital counseling, it's the first thing I go to. Hey, how is your relationship with God? Well, you know, I pretty much haven't picked up scripture in about a year and a half. Well, let's start there. Let's see what God says about marriage. Because if we truly understood our relationship with God and that Christ sacrificed himself for the church and husbands, we should have that same mentality towards our wives. That makes a whole lot of difference. So what does it mean to be a disciple? It means that Jesus is the number one priority and that we're going to own it and we want to talk about it. it. Maybe you're saying, Chase, we already do that. I'm sure people do that. Well, all right. Let's go some research. Uh, there's a study been done. And so let's go to this one first. People who have shared Christ. And this is a study of Christians, all right? I didn't like, this wasn't non-Christians that were polled. So among Protestant churchgoers, this was done last year by Lifeway, 55% in the past six months said they have not shared Christ with anyone. Guys, that's, they only surveyed people that call themselves Jesus followers. Okay, Protestants, all right? Protestant churchgoers. 55% of those people said, no, we haven't shared with anyone in the past six months. 24% said one to two times in the past six months. So, all right, my math, I'm not a great mathematician here, but I think that's 79%. And I know not all, I had to 100, but 79% of people out of everyone surveyed of those churchgoers said, no, we have only shared once or twice or none at all. And maybe I could be so bold to say, is that good enough? I don't think so. And I think we can say it's not good enough because we see what's going on around us. Now, Guys, I'm not doing this to, like, beat us down. I'm not. I'm saying we could all do better together. I'm not perfect in this. I'm a pastor. People think that my job as a pastor or that Pastor Dan's job or Pastor Nate's job is we sit in our offices all day, we read scripture, and then we just take it out and we evangelize to 35 people a day. People think that's what we do. I, I get it, all right? It's not, all right? There's still things that have to be done. There are things that when I was in, in school for ministry that I, and I got into the church and then all of a sudden, I know a lot of you get it too because you're like, you went to college or you went to trade school and all of a sudden day one on the job, you're like, man, that prepared me for nothing. It's the same thing. There's sometimes you face things like, man, I wish I'd have known that. 
Nowhere, in, when I went to Bible college or even did seminary classes, was it like, hey, here's how you help operate and function a church budget. Never had that class. All right? Just going to guess at that. Just kidding. We don't guess. All right? But no, I'm serious. So maybe it's part of training. Maybe the problem is since we're not evangelizing, maybe it's training. Maybe since we're not taking the word out, there's a training issue. So let me look at that. So the study of that same group, how many of them actually read Scripture? How often do you read the Bible? 32% said every day. But I want to go to the bottom of the scale. 12% said rarely or never. 5% said once a month. And 11% said a few times a month. So we have a double problem here. We have 30% of people that are churchgoers saying, I only read the Bible zero to a few times a month. And maybe the 32% that are doing it every day aren't getting that we need to be taking the word out. Guys, that's a problem. When you look at almost every major character development in Scripture, you see there's this time of preparation. One of my favorite things about the story of Apostle Paul is when you look at the book of Galatians, all right, that, 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 that letter to the, the church in Galatia, you see at the beginning of that, you see in Paul's journey, he spent years in the desert training. People all of a sudden think, oh, hey, Acts chapter 9 happened, and boom, Paul was saved. He was saving people and dunking people in the baptistry. That's what they think. It didn't happen that way. He had to prepare so, so church, our call is to go out and reach and save the lost, but are we preparing for that? Are we diving into the word? How is our spiritual lives? You know, Pastor Dan last week taught us a great prayer that comes from Jesus himself. How many of us knew that? How many of us could go through those words word by word and know what they actually mean and not just recite them? Can we? I don't know if we're doing that great in this area. And, and you know, Earlier on, I talked about maybe this isn't a problem. Maybe there's not enough mission field or whatever. And let me say this. Luke chapter 10, verse 2, is some other words from Jesus, and I think they're pretty enlightening. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And what that means is I think true workers, there's not enough of them. I think we see in our culture today, we see in our world, there's plenty of people that can hear more about Jesus. And, and you know what? I, I have to hit it some self-worth issues because some of you might look at me and say, hey, Chase, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm good enough. I don't think I can do that. I really don't think that I am good enough to reach somebody. Let me give you a story. I like doing, I like telling stories. Um, have you ever been in front of you a, just a daunting task that you're like, man, this is going to be rough. All right, this is going to be hard. All right, for some of you, I don't know, it could, be your, it could be your Monday at work, I don't know. You walk into the office and you're like, man, this is going to be a rough day. Or you walk in and all of a sudden, you know what, maybe you have a lot of young kids you know, at home, and maybe you had that awesome idea in your head that you wanted to put all of your kids together in this, this birth. You have a one-year-old, a two-year-old, a two-and-a-half-year-old. Somehow it happened, I don't know, a three-year-old. And maybe you're walking home and you're like, man, I don't know if I can do this. All right? When I was in college, um, I loved facing my fears, okay? 
So one of the fears I had um, early on was I was afraid of heights, and I'll tell you why. Um, being raised on a farm in Indiana, I actually, I, I hunted. That's something I did. Um, every November came around, deer season was in, I was in a tree, all right? I think everybody's had this issue, okay? Some people that hunt, some people a little bit more avid than I am. One day I kind of fell asleep in my tree. It was like six in the morning, and I'm like, all right, I'm tired, there's nothing. You know, all you hear is squirrels all day long, so you fell asleep. And that morning, I did not fasten my safety strap. So I woke up falling midair out of my tree, <laughs> um, and when I hit the ground, I hurt my ankle fairly, fairly bad. And it caused me some issues I still have today even. And from that episode, I had a fear of heights. I never was afraid of heights before that, but I had a fear of heights. So when I went off to college, I thought, I want to face this fear. And I had that buddy. Everybody has this friend that's like, the, I'm the extreme friend of, I want to do all the extreme things we can. You know, it's that friend that comes alongside and you know when it comes out of their mouth, it's going to be a stupid idea, okay? So he said, hey, dude, did you hear? And I'm like, what? He goes, 20 minutes up the road, $175, and we can jump out of a plane. I thought, well, hey, man, nothing greater than that. I'm sure it'll be a fun time. Let's do that. So we, we drove up there. I had a couple people with us, but we're the only two jumping that day. And, and you know, we, we paid the arm and leg at cost. Um, and then, luckily, we met our instructor. And he looks at me and goes, guys, I want you to know why it's good to go with me. And I'm like, sweet. He goes, you know, I served in the Vietnam War. All right. I was air calf. Um, I've done parachutes. I have tied and packed 978 parachutes, and I had one issue. Huh, cool. All right. So I'll be the 1%. That's awesome. Good to know. <laughs> Um, and also, as he's going through this, he also said, hey, I'm in the Guinness Book of World Records because we made the tallest parachute pyramid in the sky when we all jumped out of a plane in Montana. And I'm like, that's awesome. Let's not do that today. All right? And so as we are in the plane, <laughs> and people ask, why would you ever jump out of a perfectly good airplane? I will tell you right now, this was not a perfectly good airplane. All right, there was holes in it. <laughs> I was looking up going in. There's a hole in this plane. But it's Okay. So as we get up, we've, we trained all day about, you know, had an altimeter on our wrist. He taught me how to pull the cord because that's something they do and it's something fun. And, and so as we're at 10,000 feet, this was not instructed for some reason. I thought when you're up in the plane, you just jump out the door, you call it a day, all right? Easy as that. And he's like, no, there's a tail wing. You got to make sure you don't get hit by that. We have to communicate with the pilot. So we had this plank outside the door and you hold on to the wing and you have to shimmy out, all right? And I'm like, sweet, you're on my back and we got to do this. That's awesome. All right. So we do that, and then we, we dive off, and I'm telling you right now, my fear of heights was cured at that moment. One of the most beautiful things I've ever done, one of the greatest things I've ever done in my life. Would do it again in a heartbeat, all right? Love the free fall. Because that moment, you're like, man, my life is not in my hands at all. It's a great feeling. Some of you would be like, that's, that's stupid, Chase. I get it. Everybody's each their own. And as we got down to 5,500 feet, uh, that's where we trained to pull the cord. And so I did. And he goes, but notice, once the parachute was fully out, we'd already dropped another 1,000 feet. And he's like, that's why we pull it so early. I'm like, oh, cool. I didn't realize that. I thought you pull it at 500 feet, you just you stop. <laughs> it's not true. You hit the ground. Um, and so that was a cool thing for me. And the reason I share that story this morning is because we need to face our fears. And, and some of our fears in here is we're not good enough. How do you face that? You can't jump out of a plane to face that. You're right, you can't. But what you can do is start every day with a mentality of, yes, I am. Because if we don't, we're letting Satan get into our head, and we're not doing what we should do. 
And then maybe you're like, all right, I get past that chase. I get it. Maybe Jesus has made me good enough. Maybe you're right. Maybe if I belong to Jesus, the dead is gone, the old is gone, the new has come. I believe 2 Corinthians 5.17. I get it, all right? But say all that's true, can I really make a difference? And when I hear Christians say, can I as one person really make a difference, I cringe at that. And the reason I cringe at that is because somebody has lied to you, probably Satan or somebody else, is saying that you can't make a difference in this world. Church, whether you know it or not, you can make an impact. You can make a difference. Let me explain it a different way. Sometimes we underestimate certain things in life. And there is power in just one thing. Because if that one thing starts taking an impact, you'll see a community being changed, and before long, you'll see a world being changed. Church, the reason we have the problems today is too many people in mass quantities don't think they can make a difference. And the problem with that is you've been given the gospel, you've been given the hope, And if there's anybody that needs to know that they can make a difference, it's people in this room, it's people joining us online that are in the word and that know they serve a risen Savior. Church, that's evangelism. That's what that is. And the power of just one. Maybe what we need to realize is this. You might be the only Jesus that someone sees. Do you understand that? You might be the only Jesus someone sees. Let me, let me quote um, somebody. Um, St. Francis of Assisi always said this, you know, preach the gospel always and when necessary use words. Some of you might not have the, the ability to speak like I do. But honestly, you might have a bit more discipline than I do. Maybe you live your life graciously and humbly and hospitably. That's awesome. That's amazing. That's going to impact people. I get so irritated when people say, hey, Chase, I can't, I can't go out and talk to people about Jesus because I'm really bad at talking. You know what? I love that fear, but guess what? The Bible addressed that with Moses a long time ago. And we see that God will use you and he will put somebody else with you or he will use your other talents and gifts you have because you are talented, you are gifted to engage people. There are people way less elegant in words than I am that will reach way more people for the lost, way more people for the gospel. And when we talk about can just one person make a difference, hey, we've only had like two seconds and this whole community has been impacted just by one drop. If we didn't believe that just one person could make a difference, we wouldn't have the movements of Billy Graham. We wouldn't have works by C.S. Lewis. We wouldn't have the compassion of Mother Teresa. We wouldn't have the charge of Apostle Paul. If people truly believed that they could not make a difference, that God did not instill in them gifts and abilities to make a difference, we wouldn't have some of the awesome things we have today or the stories we have. So church, there is plenty to do. And yes, you are fit for the task. It is your call. It is mine. And how do we do this? Well, 
Earlier on in his life, Jesus gave us this awesome passage. Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 39 says this, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? So love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. So let me talk about today's world. We see a lot of stuff going on in our world today, in our country today. You see division. You see divisiveness. You see everyone thinking that they know their own truth and everyone has to conform to somebody's opinions. You know what? There is only one truth and that is the gospel. There's only one thing to do with that, and that's to share that with people so they can understand, here's what they've been missing. Because what we're combating today is a four-letter word. And that four-letter word is evil. N.T. Wright has an awesome quote, which I absolutely love, and it's this. Evil's a four-letter word. Luckily, God gives us another four-letter word to combat it with. That word is love. So what is our mission as people, especially when we engage people in the community and in public, and, and you're like, man, you know what? They're out there just trashing people. They're out there trashing Jesus. So guess what? I'm going to get on my cell phone. I'm going to trash them back. You don't know Jesus. Church, that's not our job. Our job is not to look at people and be like, hey, you're wrong. Our job is not to look at people and say, you're an idiot. That's not our job. Our job is to love people. And if we had more people doing that, man, things would look a little bit different, I believe. I just think it would. And you can look at me and say, you know what, Chase, you're naive. You don't get it. And I'm like, really? If I look at history and I see people that truly saw their world and they said, you know what, we need to combat everything we can with love and hospitality. Talk about a spiritual gift that's completely underrated. Hospitality. Yeah, by the way, not mine. Not mine. But talk about a gift that gets underrated. Man, if you want to impact people with the gospel, being hospitable and saying, hey, let's have a meal together, come into my home, that's awesome. That's a great way. By the way, if my wife's on vacation, you don't want to come to my home because I don't take care of it very well. Luckily, she's OCD and she gets it all done all the time. All right? So that's her gift, not mine. But man, that gift is so underrated. So maybe you don't have the gift of speech, but maybe you have the gift to welcome somebody in your home and just share with them. That's awesome. So what do we combat everything with today? We combat it with love. So we talked about early on how that our call is evangelism. And I want to replace that word evangelism. Because it has, it's, it's kind of churchy. And it's not taken too well in context. So I want to change it. Our call is not evangelism. Our call is to make disciples. And what I mean by that is this. Our call is to go out, have conversations with people, and train them up in the way they should go, and let God make some heart change in them. Let Jesus make some heart change, and then walk them along the way. Man, we need more people we look up to. That is why I tell the older generation all the time why you're so vital to the church. Because you need to be looking at some younger people, maybe you've been in the faith for 40 years, and you need to just speak to their life. Show some experience. Because as a young person, okay, I shouldn't say I'm a young person, that's probably bad. 
Uh, let me rephrase that. As a younger person, that's better. All right. All right. Okay, how about this? I'm the youngest on senior team by many years. All right. Um, let me say it this way. We need people that are above us in life, in experience, in age to help teach. Because there are things I don't have in my life experience yet. There are things I can be taught. And church, we get the problem that we have in our society today. You know where we get that problem from? Is because we have people that have looked at the world around and said, you know what? I have nothing else to learn. Our problem today is pride. Our problem today is we think we have too many people that are so intelligent that they can be taught nothing else. That's one of the coolest things about being a Jesus follower. As you learn minute one, I will always be learning this. Because Paul tells me in Philippians that I will never attain the goal. I will never get there. Ever. And why it's important that we just take that first step. I think Romans 5, 6 through 8 says it best. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So you know how God combated evil? You know how God combated Satan? He took his only son and he went to the cross for us and he showed us what love is by getting nailed to that cross. And that's how he defeated evil. Not just combated, but defeated it. And how he defeated it was he rose from the grave three days later, fulfilling the prophecy and knowing we have a risen Lord and Savior that has us in hand. And when we fully put our hope in that, and we say, yes, I want to be disciples of that, because church, yes, you can be a disciple of Jesus. Man, we can turn the world on its head. But Jesus closes that great commission with something that I still want to address. One more statement. Towards the end of this, he says, um, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Uh, why does Jesus tag this commission with, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age? Why does he get there? Well, I think he says that because he knows. Because he knows there's going to be times when we don't think he is. Church, let me tell you something you already know. Life isn't easy. All right? There are days, and I'll be honest, there are some days, that, bad days, that I look back and say, man, if I could only go back and be 12. Who's had that thought before? Anybody? If I could just go back, man. Um, Megan and I, uh, we call it something different. When we got married uh, several years ago and we started our life together, we, we started joking because, you know, when you're single and you're out on your own, you know, you do things and you, you have some adulting issues and responsibilities. But when you get married, responsibility does kick in. And I'm sure with kids, more responsibility kicks in. So we had this joke that every month she would look at me and say, hey, are all the bills paid? And I'd be like, yes, hashtag adulting check. We are killing this. And it's daunting. I get it. There are probably times you look and be like, man, I don't know how we're going to make ends meet. There's probably times you're like, man, I don't know if we can get our kids this. I don't know if we can go out. But what's important is that we still have love for God and we still have love for each other. 
Because church, we've gotten too consumed with responsibilities of the world and we've gotten too consumed with materialism. We just have. I, I get it. I think God, God knows me enough to know, for example, even though I don't play the lottery, I, I think God knows me well enough to know that I'm not going to bless Chase with millions of dollars. And the reason why is because God knows I'd have like two jet skis, a mansion, this awesome boat. That's what I would do. So I think God fully knows you're not getting that. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with God knowing me on that level. Like I've said, I'll be the first one to tell you when I'm on this stage, I am not perfect. I have my struggles daily. So what is my job as a pastor? It's not to say be like me. Because for love of God, don't be like me. My job as a pastor is to tell you our call is to make disciples and be like Jesus. You know, Pastor Nate had this beautiful illustration two weeks ago that we should be tuned to something else. And we should be tuned to this, not somebody else. So this morning, what's next for you? I think that's the best question we can have to close out this series. What is next for you? So let me break this down. Maybe you're like, Chase, I, I can't get on board with you about this whole make disciples thing because I don't even think I'm a disciple myself. Okay, let's talk about you for a second. Do you believe Romans? Do you believe 2 Corinthians 5.17? Do you believe when the scripture says that Christ died for you and that he wants to make you new? He wants to transform your life. Because church, you know what? If you're at that point in life where you're like, I'm not valuable, I can't do this, do you understand there is one person that's always believed in you, and that's Christ. That's God. And the reason I can say that is because if he didn't believe in us as people or love us as people, he wouldn't have sent his son to die. So maybe you're saying, I need to start my relationship with Jesus right now and today. If that's you, I'm going to come back to you. So I'm going to put a pin in that. Maybe you've been a follower your whole life, and you're like, well, what's there for me to do? Well, church, we can look out and say this. Obviously, we need to do a little bit better of a job, me included. We need to talk a little bit more about the gospel. We need to preach a little bit more love. We need to talk about some Jesus and say, hey, here's who died for us. No matter what your problems are, no matter what color of skin you have, Jesus saw you as equal, and he died on the cross for you. And maybe that's what we need. So your job is our mission, which is to take the word out into the world. So how do we do that? Well, if you don't think you're equipped, start reading some more. If you think you are equipped, then follow the Great Commission and just go out where you are. Your work environment, your neighborhood, for some of you, it might be your own house. Just do it. Let me come back to an earlier group. If you're saying, you know what, Chase, I want this. I want this, I believe in this, then I have something for you this morning. If you're saying, I need to either give my life for the first time to Jesus, or you know what, maybe you're saying, to go something different. Maybe you're saying, I have not belonged to Jesus, or I have not fully given my life to him in my life, or haven't for years. If that's a decision you need to make this morning, I want to pray for you. And then also, at the, there's a packet at Connection Center that says, I've decided pick that up on the way out. If you're online, let someone know on Facebook who's moderating or on or online. Let them know that you want to belong to Jesus and they will put you in touch with somebody. 
So if that's you this morning, I'm going to have everybody pray. So go ahead and bow with me. God, as we, we come in this house this morning, we ask that we are convicted by you, not by the words of me, but not by man, but we're convicted by you. And God, right now, I, I commit any life that says, you know what, I want to belong. So in this room this morning, if that's you saying, I want to belong to Jesus, I want to be sold out for him, I want you to do me a favor, throw a hand up so I can reach out and just pray for you. If you fully believe that this morning, that I want to be sold out to him, throw a hand up for me, and I want to pray for you. God, I just pray for those individuals, maybe in the room or online, that they know that they have a risen Savior that is in you. God, may they come to the faith. May they pray these words that, Jesus, I believe that you are the risen Savior, and I want to belong to you. Be the ruler and maker of my life. God, I also pray for every other individual in this room. May we truly take our call seriously. May we love our neighbor, and may we love you with all that we have. With all the boldness and tenacity we possibly possess. God, we are graciously yours. And we know we are yours because you sent your son for us and we are eternally in your debt. And we are thankful. God, bless our world. Bless our societies today. And may we go out and be the instruments of your will. We pray this all in the name of the Father and the Son. Amen.